pleasure to be with you today. I'm so excited to be here. And uh, I know some people would say that going up to bat once every six months isn't very good. I'm just glad to be part of the team. <laughs> so I'm really excited to be with you today. And today my message is entitled, The Gentle Art of Generosity. And I'll be fully honest with you, right off the bat, I stole part of this title. I stole it from a book titled, The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning. <laughs> there, there's the cover of the book. If you're anything like me, when you heard that title, you thought, I have got to read that book. It doesn't matter what it's about, it's the perfect title. You can't get any better than that, in my opinion. So I went ahead, I read the book, I'll tell you very briefly what it's about, but death cleaning, stick with me here, is when someone dies and someone comes in after and cleans up their stuff. It's very simple, right? That's what death cleaning is. However, the author of the book, she makes the argument and she says, that's a very inconsiderate thing of the dead person to do. Does anyone else find that a bit funny? They're dead. Can you be inconsiderate when you're dead? <laughs> but she says, no, 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 here's the problem with that. You should be doing your own death cleaning. The Swedish death cleaning method is doing it well before you're dead, simplifying your life, decluttering your life, so that when you do die, the people who have to come in after you, they won't worry about it. It's not tainting their memory because you left them a project. They're gonna remember you for your good character and who you were. On this point, my husband and I, we bought a home last year, right during the height of the housing market. It was absolutely crazy, and we were so blessed. We found a great home, we got it. Under list price, it, felt, it was a miracle. But I found out later, our home was a for, former hoarder home. And according to my neighbor, there was a trail weaving through the house to the important places like the bathroom or the bedroom. In my mind, you'd have to swim to get to the TV area. Like there was piles of stuff everywhere else. I imagine right to the roof. If there was a spark in that home, it would have gone up like a signal fire, a beacon to all of Winnipeg. Charles Wood needs aid. <laughs> anyway, what ended up happening was the former owner became incapacitated. They went to a nursing home and their kids came in and cleaned up all of their stuff. Do you know how long it took them to clean it up? Took them three months. Not three days, not three weeks, three months. Can you imagine how thrilled they would have been to have that project? Three months of full-time work, essentially. They took load after load after load to the dump. What an honor, right? To be left with such a wonderful project. What, I'm just glad I didn't have to do it, frankly. But is that what you would want? To be left a project? I don't think any of us would. And here's the thing. I think we can all agree on this. When we die, we want to be remembered for who we were, right? For our good character, for how we helped others, how generous we were with our time and with our efforts, how we mentored people not how much stuff we had left. And we don't want to taint our own memory. And this is where the gentle art of generosity comes in. I realized as I was preparing this message, if you're gonna have any sort of good or upright character, can you actually do it if you're not generous? Th think about it for a moment. Try to think of a time in your life where you have done something to benefit another person that wasn't an act of generosity on some level. 
I couldn't think of anything, like not a single example, right? Because we give up so much time or effort or resources, whatever it might be. That's really what people remember us for, how generous we were. And this is why this is so important, this principle of generosity. Let me read a scripture for you from Proverbs 11, 24, 25, which says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. This passage does not make sense. Have you thought about it? A generous person will prosper. No, that's not how it works in life, right? Mathematically, that doesn't work. Five minus one, because you're giving something away, does not equal 10. And yet that's exactly what the Bible says will happen. Logically, that doesn't make sense either, right? If you're giving of yourself, if you're giving things away, how are you supposed to move up in the world? That doesn't make sense. And yet the Bible says, no, that's exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to prove it to you. I've got another scripture here from Proverbs 19:17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. That changes your perspective a little bit, doesn't it? Right? You're not actually doing it unto other people. Well, you are, but you're doing it unto the Lord, and the Lord keeps track. God is infinite. He is powerful. He is awesome. He's keeping track. I still remember 10 years ago lending $10 to someone. They haven't paid me back. I'm going to hold on to that for the rest of my life (laughs) until they pay me back. But actually, it's not their problem. That's God's problem, right? He's going to repay me one way or another, whether it's $10 in some way or maybe something else. I don't know. But God is the one who's repaying me, and it's going to be so much better than just $10, whatever it's going to be. Now, I'm not going to get into this, but Pastor Mark, in his new book, A Greater Perspective, he talks all about this principle. Of, and he, calls, he has a whole chapter called The Way Up is Down, and it goes into this whole idea of why... Why does this work? Why does giving stuff away make us move up? So I'd encourage you to read that uh, if you get the chance to. But here's the thing. I don't think of generosity as giving something away. I think of it as a spiritual deposit, right? Because God is keeping track of that, and he's the one repaying us. I'll get more into that a bit later, uh, but for now, I want to explain why I'm calling this a gentle art. Why is generosity a gentle art? And that's for two reasons. One, it's impossible to be generous if you're not gentle, right? What would harsh generosity look like? Imagine you have a water bottle, someone's thirsty, you say, take it, take it, I don't want this, and you throw it at them. (laughs) You know, that doesn't feel like generosity, right? That is reluctant obligation. Whereas generosity comes from a willing heart. And you've heard this scripture before from 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Right? We have to have the right heart in order to be generous. We have to be gentle. The second reason I'm calling it uh, a gentle art is because you have to practice right? Does anyone here know karate or kung fu or anything like that? Do you have anyone? How long did it take you to get proficient at it? Monica, I'm looking at you. (laughs) Three months? A year? Three years? Five years? Okay, five years. Five years for her to get good at that. Do you think you could get good at that? 
like right now? Do you think you could beat her in a fight? No, <laughs> I don't think so. And that's because it's an art, it's a practice, and generosity, we have to practice it. And you've heard this example before about tithing, for example, right? 10%, which one is easier to give? 10% of $100 or 10% of $10,000? Obviously it's easier for when you're giving away just $10, right? That's nothing, but people think, no, 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 I'm gonna give when I have more, but then when they get $10,000, they're like, this is really hard to give away. And that's because you haven't practiced when it didn't matter as much. So this is the whole idea here. And what's interesting is because sometimes non-Christians figure out this concept of generosity uh, earlier than we do as Christians. You know, you think about, like, there's lots of nonprofits, social justice movements, even volunteers who are non-Christians, and they have this sort of abstract understanding of generosity. Like, they know it's a good thing, and they know it makes them feel good, but they don't really know why. I'll give you an example of this. There was a Vietnamese Buddhist monk by the name of Thich Nhat Hanh. Here's a picture of him. He actually just recently passed away this last year, and he was very well known for his teaching on mindfulness. And he figured out generosity, to a degree, I should say. And I want to read to you what he said about it. He tells a story which goes like this. There's a kind of vegetable in Vietnam called hay. It belongs to the onion family. It looks like a scallion, very good in soups. The more you cut the plants at the base, the more they grow. But if you don't cut them, they won't grow very much. But if you cut them often right at the base of the stalk, they grow bigger and bigger. This is also true of the practice of generosity. If you give and continue to give, you become richer and richer all the time, richer in terms of happiness and well-being. And I love this last line that he says, this may seem strange, but it is always true. And the reason this is so strange to him is because he doesn't believe in the one true God. He doesn't realize that this counterintuitive principle is a promise that God has given us. And what's remarkable is he's figured it out, right? He understands generosity is so important. And because God has this level of grace over all of humanity, he's able to reap some of the rewards of that. But you can too because you're a Christian, you know God, you have the benefit of hearing God's voice and hearing him and knowing this is a principle and whatever you do isn't just unto other people, but it's onto him. And God is the one who repays you. So I'm gonna go through for the rest of my message, I'm gonna go take you through four points because I think we all have this idea of what generosity looks like and I think it's far broader than you think. So I'm gonna go through four different ways we can be generous. The first one is time, the second one is hospitality, the third one is words, and the last and the final is finances. So let's start with time. And the reason I start here is because it kind of arches over all of these other things. If we're not giving our time, it's very hard to do any of those. So let's listen to Matthew 25, 4, or 34 to 40, which says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, 
When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Again, there it is. You know, if we're doing it to other people, we're doing it unto God. And all of these examples here from this passage, they all require the generosity of our time. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to give up. I want to tell you a little story. It's about a young boy named Martin. When Martin was 12 years old, uh, he became a bit sick. He had a sore throat, a little flu, and it kept getting worse, and it wasn't getting better. His parents couldn't figure out what was going on. So they took him to the hospital, and it just continued to get worse and worse and worse. They tried treating him for a whole bunch of different things. Nothing was working. He wasn't responding to treatment. And eventually, he ended up in a coma, eventually in a vegetative state. And the doctors told his parents, they said, look, we don't know what's wrong with Martin. He's probably going to die from whatever he has. Uh, there's nothing we can do. And so, of course, that's super distressing to hear. I've got a picture of Martin when he is that young boy. And he looks awake in this picture. I'm not exactly sure at what point he was at when this picture was taken. Anyway, for, so for several years, he was in a care home. And uh, they were just keeping him alive, basically. And four years later, when he was six, 16 years old, he woke up which was a bit of a miracle, but here's the problem, was that he was completely paralyzed and he couldn't communicate. So nobody knew that he had woken up and he lived in this state for years. It was like a fishbowl experience because he could hear everything going on, understand all the conversations, but he couldn't engage and they didn't think he was there. And it was incredibly frustrating, incredibly lonely, incredibly depressing for him. And on many times, he just wanted to die, right? It's, it's so, so difficult to go through life with no relationship. He lived like that for several years. And then when he was 24, he had a volunteer come into the care home. And this lady, all she did, she would just talk to him as though he was there, which of course he was, and uh, was understanding her. And by this point, he actually had a little bit of movement. He could make some spastic movements, which they just thought those are neural triggers. Nothing's actually going on up there. But he was able to shake his head or nod his head, and he could fully use his eyes so he could track if someone was talking to him. Anyway, this volunteer realized this, that, okay, actually, I think he might be awake. There might be some intelligence in Martin's life. After two years, she happened across a program about alternative communication. And you've probably seen the contraption Stephen Hawking had, something very similar to that. You could use your eyes to track words and construct sentences. And she got all excited about it. She went to the doctor. She's like, doctors, I think this will work for Martin. I think he's a candidate. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. We don't think that's going to work for Martin. But she continued, she pressed on, she talked to Martin's parents, she says, I think this will work for him, and they were on board. So for the next year, they, they tried this to see if it would work, and lo and behold, it did. Not only could he talk and communicate again, he could work as well, and he actually got married as well in 2009. I've got a picture here. Uh, of, of his wedding. And just so you know, that's not his volunteer. <laughs> Someone else <laughs> did that all by himself. Uh, and as you can see, he's got a little bit more movement at that point. He still has to use a computer to talk. But here's the thing. That volunteer gave three years of her time to someone 
that basically had no hope. Everyone said they had no hope. There was no point of her even doing that. And yet she persevered and absolutely transformed his life. And I know there's people here as well who think, I'm not gonna volunteer, you know, they don't need me, whatever, they absolutely need you. Your time can absolutely change someone's life. And you hear stories, even in our youth group, of, of youth leaders who are able to connect with youth because they've got the same story, they know what they're going through, and that you can change someone's life if you're just generous with your time. So that's the first one, uh, time. We can be generous with that. The second one is hospitality. Let's look at Matthew 10, 42, which says, and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. You know what that tells me? Coffee services, World Cafe, those volunteers are getting a sweet place in heaven. Amen? <laughs> but how hard is it to give a cup of, cup of water? Can you give a cup of water to someone? Okay, come on. <laughs> Can you give a cup of water to someone? Yeah, that's so easy. God is setting the bar so low here. All right, you can do that. Any one of us can do that. Give a cup of water, a cup of coffee, your beverage of choice, whatever. This is what hospitality is. Now, some of you know my husband, Greg. He's sitting over here. What some of you don't know is that he's also a pastor's kid, which is pretty cool, right? Two pastor's kids meeting, fall in love, getting married. If that's not a match made in heaven, I don't know what is, <laughs> frankly. But let me tell you a little bit about my in-laws because my father-in-law is a pastor. He pastored out in Northwest Ontario for decades in a little town called Vermilion Bay. Is anyone familiar with that? It's right on the number one highway. You blink and you miss it. Anyway, Vermilion Bay is only about a thousand people, but here's the thing about the Taves family, is they are so generous, generous with their time, with their efforts, uh, with their resources, but the, one of the most impressive things is they are generous with their hospitality. And let me just tell you a quick story about that. A few years ago, some of our friends decided it would be a great idea to go on a, a biking trip out to the East Coast. And I'm not talking a motorcycle, I'm like a pedal bike. I, honestly, I don't know what possessed them to do this. It sounds like a terrible idea. Anyway, they wanted to do that, so they left from Winnipeg, headed out east. And sure enough, a few days later, they land in Vermilion Bay. And who should come by and pick them up, see if they need a place to stay, is my father-in-law. So he takes them back to their place. My mother and father-in-law, they take care of them for three days. They give them a place to sleep. They feed them. They entertain them. <laughs> they make sure they have everything they need. And when they're ready, they bring them back to the highway and send them off. And I know that sounds like maybe a, a simple story. I don't know how many of us would do that, though. They, my friends were strangers to them, never met them before in their life, and without hesitation took them in. But here's the thing. They've been doing this their whole life. This was easy for them. Greg told me as a kid they had a rotating door of people through their home. Their parents were helping out. <laughs> they would have kids who needed a safe place to home stay with them. The police would actually call up my parents-in-law and ask them, hey, we've got a couple kids, bad situation, can they stay with you? And they would say, sure. Open arms, they'd bring them in. That's how Greg first learned how to roll his first joint uh, from one of those kids. <laughs> So, 
I guess that's something. <laughs> uh, they did that. They also brought in divorced persons, uh, people who were, didn't have a place to live or they were looking for a job, something like that. They would stay with them for months. And of course, being in Vermilion Bay, they picked up a lot of hitchhikers, people who got stranded or needed a ride somewhere. And one of the things my parents would always do is they would make sure that they have some water or a cup of coffee or a meal, make sure they're good to go. And the amount of opportunities they had to talk about Jesus was remarkable. Think about it, right? Because who does that? That is such a generous thing to do. They would go out of their way to help these people, and they're just so blown away. Why do you do that? And they would say, well, let me tell you about Jesus. And you know what? For a town of just 1,000 people, they were such effective ministers. And I think it extended far beyond 1,000 people. Amen? You know, give my in-laws a hand. I'm just so proud of them. <laughs> this would seem like a really good time for an in-law joke, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> going to let it sit there. Uh, the thing about hospitality, though, is it's a bit of a shame uh, since the pandemic hit. We haven't been very good at this. And understandably, we couldn't invite people to our home. We couldn't take people out for coffee. I understand that, and myself included, I find it really hard to get back into it now, right? Now that we're open up, inviting people over, taking them out, whatever, which is a bit of a shame because I think as the body of Christ, we can be so effective if we were to embrace hospitality once again because it is so simple yet so effective. So I just want to leave that with you right there. So our first way of being generous was generous, generous with our time, generous with our hospitality, and the third one is being generous with our words. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. And I love the implication and the assumption of this verse that just like the Thessalonians, yeah, we're also encouraging people, which we may or may not be. Uh, but let's talk about the power of words for a moment. So several years ago, there was an informal study done about when researchers wanted to find out, okay, how will models react to different compliments or words of encouragement, which I think is a pretty funny concept, to be honest. So they'd be up with the line of interviewers as models would be walking by. And so the first thing they did was they wanted to see how they would respond to, you look beautiful or you look incredible today. And they found out very quickly that it, that was not effective because a model hears that from every single person every single day. It is not a good compliment, right? They're beautiful for work. That's what they do for a living, right? And they had completely been desensitized to that comment because it was so shallow, so superficial, and, and it didn't even register with them. So, uh, so they thought, okay, we're going to change our strategy a little bit. We're going to make a compliment that's so specific and personal to that person, which required a little bit more research on their part. But again, they're, they're in that interview line, and they would yell out, and they'd say, hey, I just really respect and appreciate that you've chosen your family and kids despite being in a highly competitive industry. What went into that decision? And you would see these models just absolutely light up, and they would want to talk to that person because it was such a specific and personal compliment that wasn't just shallow. It, it was something that meant something to them, and they wanted to talk to them. And I, I want to ask a quick poll here. How many of you have used the compliment before? I like your shirt 
<laughs> Don't lie, we've all done it. It's, it's the worst compliment. <laughs> that is so shallow, so superficial. That is not being generous with our words, if I can say it that way. We can do so much better. In fact, I wanna challenge you today to be generous with your words to someone. I'll give you a few ideas how you can do that. You can compliment them on how they've grown spiritually recently. You can compliment them on a, uh, a personal or character trait that they have. You can say, I'm proud of you, and be prepared to follow that up, <laughs> right? Uh, there's a bit of a story, I find it a little bit comical in the book Love and Respect, it's a marriage book, and uh, it follows the story of this woman, she's in the therapist's office because her marriage is kind of on the rocks, and as an experiment, the therapist says, okay, I want you to go home tonight, and I just want you to say to your husband how proud you are of him. And she's like, well, of course I'm proud of him. He already knows that. I don't have to say. He's like, yeah, I, I know. I know you're proud of him. But just humor me. Just try it. See what happens. So she goes home that evening, and she walks into the room. Her husband's watching television. And she says, hey, honey, I'm going to be making this and this for dinner tonight. By the way, I just wanted to say how proud I am of you. And she starts walking out of the room. She doesn't even make it out of the room before her husband jumps up and he practically yells at her. He says, why? Why are you proud of me? <laughs> you know, Whoa, okay. And uh, what had happened though was that she hadn't been generous with her words and he was so starved of her encouragement that he couldn't believe it when he finally got it. And this is just one thing I've noticed. I think it's very difficult to remember to encourage the people closest to us. Or we kind of take them for, for granted a little bit. Of course we know what they're good at. Of course we know what they're bad at too. And sometimes that's all we focus on is the negative traits of them and not the positive ones. So I'd really encourage you to be generous with your words because it can make such a difference in someone's life. So my last and final point here is the one you've all been waiting for, <laughs> being generous with your finances. Let's look at 1 John 3.17, which says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Whew. I find this very convicting, this passage. If you have a need and you're not willing to give to your brother, is God's love even in you? That, that's something that's hard to deal with. And I know as Christians, we, we like a different response. We don't like to do that. If someone's telling us, hey, I've, I've got this problem, I don't know what to do, I, I need this, yada, yada, we'll say, I'll pray for you. Whoa. That's so generous, that's so holy, isn't it? <laughs> Here's the thing, if you even remember to pray, that prayer is two seconds long. Heavenly Father, pray for James, ask that you give him what he needs, amen. <laughs> that's not what God is asking us to do. We're using this acceptable Christian response as an excuse not to help. And I think that's a bit of a problem. You know what, let me tell you a story, because I'll be honest, I'm a bit of a stingy person when it comes to this. Um, my husband, as I've said before, he's very generous, Mr. Generous. It's been a contention in our marriage sometimes, because we'll be in the drive-thru and he'll say, oh, we should pay for the people behind us. And I'll say, no, we're saving. Come on, Greg. <laughs> it's not at the forefront of my mind whatsoever. Uh, so several years ago, 
the pandemic had just started and I realized a lot of people were in pretty dire situations. And we had a friend who was also in a difficult situation. Uh, they had been laid off from their job, but it was worse than that because they had just graduated. They had basically no savings at that point because they had just started into their career. And they had no family here. So they couldn't go live with someone else or have someone bail them out. And so they were talking to me and saying, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Like, I don't think I'm gonna be able to pay my rent this next month. And I said, don't worry, I'll pray for you. <laughs> <laughs> Such a great friend. And uh, so, of course, I, I did pray with her and left. But as soon as I left, I thought, man, may maybe we should pay for the first month of rent. I don't know. And I thought, no, no, no. God would never ask that of me. That is way beyond my level of generosity. I'm not going to do that. Uh, so I slept on it. Next morning, I still had this thought in my mind. And then I made my first mistake. I thought, I'll ask Greg what he thinks. <laughs> I'll ask Mr. Generous <laughs> what he thinks. But I picked my time wisely. I picked it while the Toronto Maple Leafs NHL team was playing, right? I know you're laughing. Don't, you know what? It's a disappointment enough being a fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Don't laugh at him. <laughs> so he's watching the TV. He is glued to the screen, slack jaw. And I, I picked that moment. This is my time. So I tell him the story. Hey, this is what's going on with our friend, yada, yada. And without missing a beat, he didn't even look at me. He didn't, he didn't look away from that TV screen. He says, maybe we should pay for her first month of rent. I thought, oh, come on. Are you kidding me right now? He didn't even have to think about it. That's how generous he is. It just exudes from him. But we did talk about it. We prayed into it. And we thought, you know what? Yeah, I, I think this is what God's calling us to. We, we would do that for her. So we called her up and she was so grateful, of course, just beyond herself. She invited us over for supper uh, and it was really great. And I asked her, how much is the rent? And she said, it's $725.67. I don't know what a landlord's going to do with 67 cents, but okay. <laughs> so I wrote the check. There you go. And you know what? She ended up being fine. She got her job back. All's well that ends well. And I'm super, super glad that we could be there for her. But the story doesn't end there. About a month later, I receive in the mail a letter from Canada Revenue Agency, which is always a little disconcerting for me, especially when I haven't applied for anything recently, right? So I open up this letter, and it reads essentially like, hey, so we noticed that in the previous year you were collecting this credit, which was true, my husband had been in school at that point, and we realized that we made a mistake and that we miscalculated the amount that you should be getting. So this is your last and final installment uh, with the corrected amount. And I thought, sweet, that's great. And I was expecting, you know, 50, 60 bucks, because that's kind of what it had been before. And I opened up the check, and it says $725.67, down to the penny. Isn't that incredible? God repaid us and he's the government to do it. Come on. <laughs> Whatever you do, you do it unto God and he will repay you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.
You know, generosity is a really beautiful thing, but here's the thing. We can only be generous out of the excess of what God has given us. God is so, so generous. And today I just want to see if anyone here has had that nudging on their heart to make Jesus their Lord and Savior because he has the most generous gift of all, and that's our relationship with him. So I just want everyone to close their eyes here. If that's you, if that's something maybe you've been putting off doing or you realize I need to make this decision today, I just want you to raise your hand until I can see it, then you can put it down afterward. Is there anyone who'd like to make that decision? Thank you. Thank you in the back, yeah. Amazing, okay, thank you. Okay, whether I saw everyone's hands or not, doesn't matter, God, God saw them. And I want us to repeat this prayer after me. Everyone's gonna say it together so we don't single anybody out, all right? So, Heavenly Father, I come before you. I know I've been a sinner walking in my own way, doing my own thing. But today I want to accept your generous gift, the gift of salvation and relationship with you. Starting today, you are my Lord and Savior, and I want to say yes to the opportunities you have for me. Help me to be generous in all I do, just as you have been generous to me. Thank you that I have new and abundant life in you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand.